But I find when my spiritual practice is strongest, I'm able to accept it faster Mm -hmm. and thereby begin healing faster because I can go inside and listen. Hello, and welcome back to Mindful Warrior Radio. Mindful Warrior Radio is a space we created to connect with incredible humans to share brave stories, authentic insight, and real knowledge. Thank you for joining us. My name is Cami Craig. I'm a former elite athlete, Olympic champion, turned performance and culture design coach at Mindful Warrior. And I'm your host of Mindful Warrior Radio. Today on Mindful Warrior Radio, we welcome Amani Lagonier. Amani brings her experience from a decade-long career as a system manager of spiritual health and education in one of the nation's largest community hospitals. Amani is a specialized spiritual leader who has completed the gold standard program of clinical pastoral education and is a performance and culture design coach at Mindful Warrior. She brings her expertise in areas such as crisis response, conflict resolution, educational theory, interpersonal neuroscience, intercultural relations, spiritual care, and multi-faith theological studies to her work. I'm thrilled to tap into the insight and experience of Mindful Warrior teammate and friend Amani on today's episode of Mindful Warrior Radio. Amani, I am so thrilled to have you on Mindful Warrior Radio and to have you here to just speak about your experience and learn from your insight and um, just have you as a wealth of knowledge here. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Cami. This is delightful for me too. Yes. Um, So I want to start by simply asking for our listeners, what is a chaplain? And what does a chaplain do? Give us some color behind the world of Amani. What is a chaplain? That's such a fascinating and wonderful question because it's like asking what your favorite color is. There's so many different ways to describe what a chaplain is because we are as individual as every unique chaplain. As a field and a discipline, we are most connected by the idea of seeking to respond to people's spiritual care needs. That's the simplest way of putting it. Um, The history of chaplaincy goes back as far as spirituality does, I think as far as care responding does. But the word chaplain came from the cape of a chaplain in a war. Mm -hmm. Um, This was a British chaplain who gave up his cape uh, for a soldier who needed it in the war. Um, They found in the Second World War that chaplains were um, sneaking up to the front lines because they weren't allowed to be there to bury the dead. Mm -hmm. And so I also think about that as a symbol of who we are. We're people who go to the front lines of spiritual distress and of um, deep existential need. Mm-hmm. in order to try to help people to find what they call source and without our own agenda being in the way. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which immediately opens up so many questions already, (laughs) just based off of that beautiful definition that you have given. And I think for me, what really pops up is, I guess, let's start with how would you define faith or spirituality? And I know that those are different. So maybe you would define them differently. But I think, again, if we can continue to ground our listeners and myself, um, that's going to be a great launching board for for more questions. Absolutely. Um, and again, these are things and concepts that you can point to, but not necessarily describe. Uh, I was listening to a podcast yesterday with two brilliant female professors who are astrophysicists and study black hole theory. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how black holes are places, not things. Yep. <laughs> I think spirits are places too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think faith is something that's ultimately ineffable, but if you have it, you know it and you feel it. Mm-hmm. Everyone in a human journey who is cognitively able to tries to make meaning of their existential experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Faith in theologian Paul Tillich's words is your ultimate concern. It's the thing that matters most to you. So in chaplaincy, for me, if I want to get to understand what somebody's faith perspective is, Mm -hmm. I may ask a question like, what gets you through the night? Yep. Because if I do, I'll I'll get a two-pronged answer. One piece of it is what makes them restless. Mm-hmm. The other piece of the answer is where's their source of strength, hope, and love, mm-hmm. ideally. If I'm at that place with someone in crisis, then we've hit spiritual pay dirt. That's where the gold nuggets are uh, for understanding who they are and how they make meaning and what the apparatus of their spirit might look like. It's just a beginning point, And I don't assume that I'll ever really know anyone's faith completely, but it might give me enough to draw alongside them in a time of need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Spirituality. You still want to know what I think that is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So spirituality is the exercise of your faith. Mm -hmm. It's also your essence, I think, Um, because I think of, of all entities, all beings as having a spirit of some sort. Um, I think there's a spirituality to all living things, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) My mom is growing amaryllis right now and they all have their own personalities, even in their bulbs. Like, you know, I, I'm a plant talker. So I was talking to a couple of them and couple said, you know, we want to do our own thing. And the others were really excited to grow. And those two who wanted to do their own thing, took the longest to grow, but now they're so interesting to watch. So I, I, I think all of us have our own growth journey in our spirits. Mm -hmm. I believe in spiritual sentience. Some people only believe that sentience um, originates in the brain and ends there and ends when you pass away. I believe that spirits are energies that have consciousness and that continue. And mm-hmm. so that's a core theological thing um, that varies among humans, but that's the approach that I've taken. And it's something that I feel like I've observed 
mm-hmm. in my chaplaincy. I'm curious. I think what's popping up for me is this role that faith plays in times of high stakes mm-hmm. and times fast with fear. And there's a part of me thinking about faith from the perspective as an athlete and a performer. And then there's a part of me that's thinking about faith from the perspective of just a human and living the human experience. And what is, you know, uh, moments of high stake or times fast with fear, whether it's, you know, something as serious as life coming to an end, um, or as intense as being down by one goal in the finals of the Olympic games. And I'm curious of just your perspective of what, what role does faith play in times of high stakes and, and moments fast with fear? It's such a poetically phrased question, first of all, Cammie Craig. I love the question um, because I believe that um, there are spiritual themes that run through humankind and that we are all connected. We're connected in systems that are small systems, perhaps like, um, you know, a dyad of a, of a mother and child or a couple. And we're connected in huge systems like nations and a planet that we share. Um, sometimes we share spiritual distress themes. And I believe that we're in a time of high stakes mm-hmm. that are fast with fear as a planet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm not thinking of myself alone as I answer, what do I believe faith does during times like this? I think for people who are available to and practiced in faith, particularly faith that is connected with a concept of higher power, or even power that does not only originate in the self, right? Mm -hmm. So a consciousness beyond oneself for people in that belief system, the hope would be that times like this invite faith to a different level of activity, mm-hmm. sort of like a muscle. Yep. I'm trying to be as athletic as I can in this answer. <laughs> you know, this is the time to use that afterburn and to, you know, rely on your training and to go for it and to decide, am I going to be a victim to fear? Am I going to go down with this? Or am I going to choose to hope against all hope from, I'm also, you know, a Christian minister. So I draw pretty strongly from that tradition. Mm -hmm. And my tradition says, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Mm -hmm. So if it's the substance of things hoped for, faith and hope have to kiss each other. They have to be hand in hand somehow. And in times that are fast with fear, hope slows down. Mm -hmm. Hope might pause. Hope might freeze or fly away. I think faith invites hope to fight if we have to put it in the fight, flight, freeze paradigm, I think that faith is this energy that says fight through hopelessness, fight through the dark and find that light inside of you and look for that light 
inside of others, even if you don't think that there's light behind their eyes anymore, even if you don't think that they can understand you or that you can get beyond your sense of difference. Have faith that there is love at the core. Mm -hmm. Somewhere love exists in that person. Somewhere they're equally human to you. And somewhere there may be a way for us to pull together as humankind to do something gracious for one another and gracious for this home we live in. Mm. Beautifully said. I, I can't help to think about the strength that faith and hope can cultivate within an individual. And when I think about that, I think about when you are committed to your faith and spirituality, what is your either experience or perspective on faith being a part or faith grounding or faith enhancing performance? What role does faith play in performance? Um, I think it plays a huge role Mm -hmm. in performance. Um, Danelle said something interesting in your podcast with him. Um, And it was, I never, I never lose faith in myself. You know, it was, I never, um, I'm extrapolating from what he said, but I never stop hoping that I'll win. Essentially, (laughs) that's what I heard him say. I never give up. And I thought, oh, that's really audacious and kind of amazing. And maybe why he won the Olympics, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so the spiritual Olympian in me says, hmm. maybe I'm really stubborn. Maybe I just won't give up on God. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a certain resilience to believing that love wins. Um, I think that there is um, an incredible energy and an emboldened sense of well-being that happens when you believe um, not only that there's something beyond you, but that there's something beyond you that's loving, Mm -hmm. that there is source that cares um, about the details of your life that there are paradoxes and tragedies and horrors in this world. Horrors that I don't believe are easily explained away or that have pat explanations that can be, you know, closed inside of the pages of the Bible for most people or any other sacred text. But that there are also scriptures written in our lives and written on our hearts where we might be experiencing something that's very deeply wounding And at the same time, know that we know that we know that we're held in something greater than that, Mm -hmm. or that we still are who we are in spite of that. And whoever we are is worth something. Mm -hmm. There's a value there. Those nuggets of being can connect with experiences of well-being when spirituality, I think, is at its Mm-hmm. There, I want to double click on this knowing we are who we are, this kind of truth of yourself. Um, and 
I'm, I'm curious of in these times, you know, where you're really challenged, how do you stay connected to your truth or that knowing of self? How have you um, guided or experienced that for yourself? And I know, and I, I think it's worth even sharing to our listeners, you know, that you, this is where you are at your best in this work that you do. And just even listening to you speak, it's, it's beautiful how it's all rolling off your tongue and you're able to share this with us. I also would like to share that you've experienced a traumatic brain injury and you've had to that show up in a time fast with fear and be solid within your faith and continue to um, be resilient and show up day in and day out, not knowing what the future holds for you. And so even pulling from that experience and all that you are in this moment, how, how would you, what is your perspective and how would you guide others to continue to stay connected to their truth, even in these times of great challenges? Well, you just said that you said the right word, which is, you know, how do you get to the core of your faith in times that are fast with fear and high stakes? And I think staying true Mm -hmm. is the answer to that. Being really honest not just about the presence of this sense of, of, of beauty and love that might envelop you unexpectedly sometimes, but being really aware of when you feel its absence and being able to acknowledge that maybe those periods last for a long time, those dark nights, of the soul, those pitch black places. I've prayed to God to help me walk in the dark many times. Mm-hmm. And I prayed to be able to have meaningful work when I didn't know that I would be able to work outside of the home at all. You know, I thought maybe I'll be a contemplative, maybe I'll pray from bed, but that's not what I wanted. I was angry. I was in divinity school when I was wheelchair bound, but my head injury happened in college. Mm -hmm. I was a science major. Um, The injury really affected my math center. I was a interdisciplinary biochemistry and Spanish language and culture major. (laughs) And I started at 16, you know, I was used to being able to use my brain well and think pretty fast Mm -hmm. and And having to work around myself. Yeah. Um, Not being able to access pieces of my cognition, but also um, literal movement because I still drag my right side a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. or I'm tired. My, speech might slur that was something I was concerned about tonight because I'm tired Mm -hmm. the straightest line to an answer the reason why I said being honest is core is because that cycle of praise that we have when we're lifted up by feeling faithful also has another part and that is lamentation (laughs) That is the acknowledgement of the ferociousness of the flesh, the fragility of not being able to control so much of our reality, Mm -hmm. the vulnerability of knowing that eventually we'll lose our bodies 
and that we'll lose the physical presence of the people that we love the most. Mm -hmm. That has to be there and be solidly acknowledged, I think, in order for authentically strong faith to arise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you'll indulge me, because I'm not a preacher, but I work with them, you know, <laughs> yes. I'm a pastor, but I'm not a preacher. Um, I um, did a conference several years ago, gosh, it's probably a decade ago now. Um, it was mainly United Methodist pastors, but there are a few Southern Baptists, primarily men, you know, um, few educators like myself. Um, and I said, and it had context, but I don't remember the context. I said, you know, everyone that Jesus healed died. And there was this huge gasp that went through the entire room. Right. And you would have thought, like, I just dropped a bomb in the middle of the room. Like, it, the people are like, how could you say this? And I, I thought, well, it's not it obvious, you know, I mean, they'd be walking among us. We would call them the immortals. They would be rock stars. Right. You know? right. So what's the point of healing? What's the point of believing? Um, I think sometimes we get wrapped up, and I'm including myself in that we, in the moment of encounter with God, that moment that feels healing or that moment that feels enrapturing or that moment that we feel like we could escape that planet and see that beautiful blue ball in space and feel a part of the cosmos again. But then we're just us and we have to get out of bed and we have to find both socks and all that. And it seems like there's this huge chasm between the one and the other. For me, part of what helped knit that together was the idea that temporal healing, momentary healing is a part of reminding us those small encounters with God are weaving into something bigger. The healing moments, I believe, in Jesus' ministry were preparation for the second death. Mm -hmm. It was, know that I'm real. Know that this is true. Know that you are connected with something bigger and more eternal. And that can help you on your journey here. Mm -hmm. It's a brief part of your journey here. Yes. As I was learning more about your healing process, some, and I was reading this beautiful article about you and I will, I'll put it in our show notes. So if anyone wants to read that, uh, the link will be available. And some of the themes or language that came up around your healing was the ability to surrender, to let go and allow healing to take place, to surrender to the changes that had been made within yourself due to the, to the brain injury and finding the strength in that. But I'm curious of how would you define surrender for you in your healing experience and journey? And what role did that surrender play? There's so many directions to go with the answer here because surrender is complicated for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think I'm a total control freak, but I like things a certain way. Same. <laughs> my standards for myself are fairly um, stringent, I would say, as a leader and as a mom and so many other things. Um, I try to be a good friend. You know, I just, 
I can see what is good and I try to aim for it. And I'm often disappointed by my performance, but I keep trying, right? Mm -hmm. So surrender from a performance perspective really doesn't happen for me very much. I'll be really honest. I fight through and I keep pushing and I keep trying to improve myself, to improve my, um, my output, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Surrender on a deep spiritual level though, is about spiritual humility. Mm-hmm. It's about understanding that I can't control everything. <laughs> it's about understanding that I do have limits and boundaries and that that's not all bad, that I can actually, when I am true to my limitation as much as I am to my capacity for limitlessness, find a space of vulnerability that can be a strength. It's it's a paradox. Surrender for me is a paradox because it's, it's a gateway. Mm-hmm to a different kind of very grounded strength. It's the strength to say, today, I can't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. And I still fight through tears on days like that. It still makes me angry and frustrated sometimes. But I find when my spiritual practice is strongest, I'm able to accept it faster. Mm -hmm. And thereby begin healing faster because I can go inside and listen more clearly without my own agenda. Mm -hmm. So if I had to say, you know, what, what are you surrendering when you surrender and make it really specific to a spiritual practice? I would say surrendering my agenda Yeah, is my spiritual practice. And I do not let it go easily, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I know that I have to sometimes to heal. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's so true for high performers, elite performers to wrestle with this idea of surrendering. And so I appreciate you sharing your perspective and your journey on that. There's also this idea as, you know, I continue to create my definition of what flow is. And a lot of it is kind of this ability to let go met with the force, right? So to train, to prepare, to have everything the right way, and then just let go and let be what needs to be. Um, And I even heard just a little bit of this, letting the surrender meet your strong, grounded faith. Right. Um, And so, again, it kind of seems like a little bit of letting go, meeting that that force, um, which creates flow. And so I'm kind of curious as I bring this up and I'm I'm kind of just collaborating with you at this point on this. What's coming up for you as I say that? Is there anything that that's kind of popping up for you? Um, What's popping up for me is a poem by Raina Maria Rilke called autumn (laughs) um and it says the leaves fall fall as from far like distant gardens withered in the heavens they fall with slow and lingering descent and in the nights the heavy earth too falls from out the stars into the solitude thus all doth fall 
this hand of mine must fall, and lo, the other one, it is the law. But there is one who holds his falling infinitely softly in their hands. It's not surrendering to nothing for me. Mm -hmm. It's falling because I was falling anyway. Mm -hmm. And allowing myself to land in a place that perhaps I didn't decide on, but that I know I participated in the preparation of. Mm-hmm. Um, flow for me is similar to that. It's that dynamic process of leaning in with everything you've got toward a particular goal or an experience or a higher truth. And at the same time, holding intention that there will be a moment where it either happens or it doesn't, <laughs> mm -hmm. but you're involved fully in a process. You're consumed completely in that moment and your consciousness is directly connected instead of tangentially connected to what your body is doing, what your mind is doing, what your spirit is doing, and hopefully what you're doing with in, and in concert with the people around you. You know, ultimately my, my dream would be that I would be in flow with the best of all creation, you know, that I could be involved in what Galileo called the music of the spheres, that that vibration would be high enough that it would be a kind of music that would be worth listening to, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's going to take a minute. It might take a few thousand minutes, <laughs> millions <laughs> of minutes, might take all of the minutes of all time. Um, but even knowing that that's there somewhere mm -hmm. inspires me. Yeah. I mean, this beautiful idea of spiritual flow. Whoa. Flow is a magical thing. Yeah. And so is faith. Uh-huh. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it blows my mind because it's endlessly creative. Yes. And because people from the inception of humanity have been trying to describe it, trying to talk about it, and trying to live into it. And somehow we occasionally meet each other and, and we might share a language about it, but we're still describing something that's, that simply is. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, and is so profoundly individual um, in communication at the same time as there are global themes in it, that it's, it's just, it's just an incredible dance, I think, hmm. trying to be human and and touch the face of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm curious of what role does self compassion play in in this? As you know, as you as you say, you know, to be human, you know, uh -huh. we all are human. Um, I was listening to a little um, of Brene Brown the other day, and 
was shocked off my rocker when she said that she had collected all this data. She was so excited because um, she wanted to know what the most compassionate people in the world have in common. She thought the answer would be spirituality, Mm -hmm. but the answer was actually boundaries. Interesting. I thought so. (laughs) I thought that. Yeah. (laughs) That is not where I was going in my mind at all. I was thinking like non judgment or like understanding. It was generosity or altruism, right? Like all these spiritual concepts and her answer. And somebody else might do the proof differently and come out somewhere else. But Mm. her answer was boundaries. And so I had to take that in. Um, consult with it, you know, yep. <laughs> what the people in my field and my departments have to say about it. And most of us shook our heads and, and, and really started a boundary audit for ourselves and realized that we might not have the best boundaries always around self-care in particular. Mm-hmm. So what's the role of self-compassion for giving yourself Forgiveness has a letting go connotation as well. Yes. Being willing to say again, and this is a theme, limits are important and maybe you've reached yours or maybe you started to be able to, and this is true for me, I started to be able to see a couple of steps before I stumbled that I was getting too tired to continue, right? Took me years to acknowledge that and slow down and stop before I fell. Mm -hmm. I still fall sometimes metaphorically and otherwise, but self-compassion to me would be having the kind of boundaries that say, this is your end point, Imani, and pause. Mm -hmm. Pausing doesn't mean stopping forever. And I think that fast with fear thing that happens is if I pause now, if I acknowledge that I'm this limited, if I'm not acknowledged that I have a difference in ability, then I won't be able to get up again, or people won't um, allow me to do the things that I really want to do in the world. It's giving up that need to control those things that need to control the future and being very radically in the present Mm -hmm. (laughs) with acknowledgement of limitations with beautiful boundaries, because when you have those beautiful boundaries, I think that your energy can collect in these, you know, golden pools and you can refill your cup. And then you're giving out of your outflow rather than giving out of your core resource. Mm -hmm. And there's enough to give because you know how to go home and refill your cup. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, this is, I'm so grateful that this conversation is going to this place of rest and recovery. And even you highlight just a little bit about the difference between their self-care and their self-compassion and self-compassion can lead to maybe more self-care. Um, and 
either or, but this idea that self-compassion is this understanding, it's this place of non-judgment and, and warmth where self-care is really, you know, getting the extra sleep, eating the nourishing food, drinking the glass of water, putting up the boundary, if you will. And uh, the self-compassion is the ability to say, it's okay. It's okay. really okay. We're okay here. Um, and I think as, you know, an athlete and an elite performer, I really understand the importance of what it means to rest and recover. What is it to care for my body in a way so that I could show back up to the pool and do the job that I was meant to do. And in sport, that rest and recovery period is kind of baked into the job and the role in this description. Um, and I can see how those lines get blurred in everyday life and work and responsibilities. And I'm curious of, you know, you're sharing a little bit about the importance of pausing, slowing down and resting and allowing your energy to collect in these golden pools to be able to go back out and do the work that you're on this earth to do. Is there anything else that you'd like to lift up about the importance of rest and recovery? Um, as I think it's a major theme with all of my clients, with all of our clients that I <laughs> continue to kind of lift up and share. Well, to use religious language, bless your rest. Rest is a blessing. Um, I think that there's a reason why most world religions build in rest and practices of rest. Yoga grew from the need to um, keep the body healthy while doing long sense of meditation. Meditation isn't the same as rest, okay? But it does allow your brain to activate happiness centers and to get into flow in a different way that um, can mimic some forms of rest. Mm -hmm. So there was literally a posture associated with staying healthy um, and limber in the midst of that rest in Christianity, the Sabbath, and also other Abrahamic religions, this rhythm of the week that God rested after creating, even God rested after creating in that story. So um, I think leaning in to that place of, okay, permission to rest then it's still countercultural, particularly in the West. Mm -hmm. um, rest seems to be a privilege. It's interesting because I think that rest is often very class-based. Um, and I see people who have particular um, financial means seeming to be able to vacation more, get away more, things like that, but they still may not rest exactly. Mm -hmm. So finding peace, I think is a precursor to rest. Yeah. Carving out actual real space to do so is a precursor to rest. And then in my tradition, um, rest is not something that you can achieve on your own. Mm. Jesus says, I come to give you rest. And I often would pause on that, especially when I was sickest, because even though I was in bed a lot, my spirit was restless. <laughs> I yes. wanted to get up. Yes. I wanted to do more. I was not okay with this old scenario, you know? 
so I would pray to be given rest and the ways that rest would come would be in inviting different perspective taking in um, feeling the presence of what I call the Holy Spirit of having friends come over and take me to sit by a lake and laughing with my husband, you know, hearing my mom's voice and my sister's, you know, all of those things brought a sense of familiarity and home and peace, but also feeling understood and feeling loved that laid down little stones on this pathway towards rest. Mm -hmm. The end of the day though, it was only God that could give me rest. My work wasn't to rest so much as to be willing to receive Mm -hmm. rest. That is so wonderfully said. And I think what an expansive thought for myself to think about rest is not done alone. Um, Because I, I think for me personally, I take it on as my responsibility and maybe not even have been attuned or aware of how I place kind of my team that puts things into rest for me. Like, you know, where do I, you know, where do I go to get the most ultimate rest? I go home to where my mom is, you know, (laughs) my childhood home where I can just nuzzle in. Right. And how that, that enhances and actually deepens the rest. And, you know, in even asking, asking for that help along the journey. That's a really, that's a really cool thought. Amani, thank you for sharing that. You spoke a little bit about the mind, body, and spirit. Um, In an article that I read about you, I learned that your mom is a psychologist, your sister, a doctor, and you a chaplain. And you guys are this beautiful balance of mind, (laughs) body, and spirit in in regards to the way that you show up and heal. Um, And I wanted to ask a little bit about, you know, what is the importance of that balance? What has been your experience of needing a balance in those three things? Um, yeah. And just curious if anything's coming up for you there. I think those three things are inextricable and that they all depend so deeply on one another. Right. So yes, my mom's area of specialty. She's a PhD clinical psychologist. It's mental and behavioral health, but her source, her ability to get through, you know, years of working um, at a high level of management and forensics and being in private practice with children who are abused and neglected in foster care and working in um, HIV AIDS clinics before uh, people felt like that was safe, you know, all of that came from her spirit mm-hmm. and a strong body. Mm-hmm. She was tiny, but she was strong <laughs> mm-hmm. and ate really healthily and moved. You know, my sister is a neonatologist up in Virginia. And also I think would not have made it through the incredibly stringent process to become who she is professionally without leaning very, very deeply on her genius she wouldn't say it that way Mm -hmm. but her her mental stamina but also leaning on her spirituality very very deeply because she has physical strength too but migraines Mm -hmm. 
so pushing through pain, excruciating pain to do what she's done. It's just something beyond what I could ever imagine. And it makes me, it inspires me. It's awe inspiring, but it's also heartbreaking because I know what she had to physically sacrifice in order to be where she is. Mm-hmm. And all many, many little lives have been saved because of it. I have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Her calling, it's not just her job, it's her vocation. And for mm-hmm. my mom, um, being a psychologist was her vocation. For me, it's a total surprise that I am a minister and a chaplain and all of those things. And my family still forgets, you know, that I am yes. a sweetheart and then they laugh and they're like, okay, we get it. But they also a hundred percent understand who I am as a spiritual being. And it, and it's, and it's perfectly congruent with who I've always been, you know, mm-hmm. my mind, my body have been through a lot. <laughs> and because of that, I am even more acutely aware of how much I need to be physically healthy in order to do what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have physical challenges and I have to work really, really hard to be well enough to um, manage the spiritual health department for, for hospitals, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I keep getting up and I keep doing it um, in terms of my mental health through COVID. I have not tended to it as well as I would have liked to. I think that having such a strong spiritual muscle has helped with that, mm-hmm. but I've kind of compensated for not really taking care of all of my mental health by leaning into those spiritual disciplines. And they often go hand in glove. I think COVID has been depressing mm. for me and I didn't really know it probably until the last couple of months. I knew it was scary. Mm-hmm. I knew that it was exhausting. I didn't know how depressing it's been. Um, and the atmosphere that we're living in, in so many ways, um, has invitations to being fearful and hopeless in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So pushing against that, pushing back from that and saying, I refuse to go down a rabbit hole of, of sadness when there's so much to be grateful for and to rejoice for, there's so much to be glad for. And there's so much work to be done that I don't want to lose energy Mm -hmm. in that place. So that mental process is about making a choice. I'm all for therapy and medication and all the things that people need to keep their mental health steady. For me, um, it's about being very conscious of the choices that I'm making about the thoughts that I'm having. And where I want to spend my energy. Mm -hmm. That is a big, big one in regards. And that's the boundaries that we're talking about when it comes, you know, Brene saying, Brene Brown saying that, you know, self-compassion or most compassionate people can set boundaries, but it's being able to, I would imagine it's being able to have those energy sources and those stores and having the threshold to be able to ebb and flow and flex when needed, right? Rather Mm -hmm. than you know, totally depleting self and feeling like you don't have it in the system to give. And I think that give is a, is a bit of that flex of, of compassion and ability to give and take when needed rather than being pressed against a wall. But thank you for sharing that. I think it's, you know, I think about the whole and 
you're definitely describing just that and how they're all, you know, they're all connected and they're all leaning on each other and just kind of the awareness and mindfulness you need to have of, you know, what needs what and what needs to serve what at what time. Um, and so it's an art, you know, I think you, you've called yourself a spiritual Olympian, right? I love that. Um, and I think, you know, constantly we've got to be thinking about mind, body, and spirit, um, not only as, as uh, athletes, but as humans and how, how does that balance actually contribute to a healthy life, a healthy family, a healthy community and a healthy world at large. Amani, it is. Can been... I ask you a question? Yes. You can ask me a question. I love it. Okay. How was your spirituality helpful to you in the pool? Yeah. And how did self, this is actually two parts. Um, okay. How did self-compassion factor into your rhythm of self-care? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think what I will start with is the self compassion piece. So, growing up early on in school, I have learning disabilities. I'm dyslexic and I have ADHD, and I had gone through at a very young age in a very early way a lot of repetition of failure, and a lot of repetition of making mistakes and having to start again, and kind of getting in trouble and not getting it right. Um, and I think that my parents did an excellent job of kind of, they taught me definitely how to have self-compassion, right. And understanding like, Hey, things are going to be challenging and you're not going to always get it right. And it's not about getting straight A's, but what it's about is like, did you put in the effort? Did you put in the energy? Did you ask the right people for help? Did you do kind of this, this checklist of things and this idea that it's not going to always be great. And so I had a lot of, I believe, early repetition on being self-compassionate that I'm not going to always get it right. That I'm a lot of times it's going to be way out of my control and I'm just going to have to sit there and kind of figure out how to manage to get through it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that there was that ability to experience failure and mistakes kind of in, you know, quote unquote, higher risk being on the national team and training for the Olympics, you know, and I always gave myself space to make mistakes. The idea was to minimize the mistakes. You wanted them as small as possible. Um, but I've, I've had to do a lot of letting go of like, man, that what it is, what it is like, that wasn't the best. And this feeling is kind of yucky, but can I move through it quickly and seamlessly? take the information I need and move on. And so I think I've survived a lot of that. And so um, self-compassion came in and a lot of, you know, in a, in a space where you had to be very perfect. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was, I was really compassionate about the mistakes that came up and was just knew that I had the ability to keep showing up and do it again and try it again. I had already built that resilience and that endurance within myself in regards to spirituality. I wasn't, I was not raised with a religion, but I was really raised with a great, uh, a lot of integrity, morals, and values within my family. And I think what's interesting is as you know, I get to learn more and open my mind to spirituality and faith is I've always had this kind of deep knowing, and I can't explain exactly where it came from, but you know, as we have this conversation, we do know where it comes from, right? This deep knowing, um, and this willingness to continue to show up and hold the course and hold the vision and, you know, come forward with my integrity, with the, with the work that I was doing and the ways that I interacted with teammates and coaches and doing what was 
what I felt was right. Um, and you know, I can't tell you why I showed up for 13 years straight to the same pool for the same six hours of training, jumping in the same lane, working on the same drills, but there was just this kind of knowing that this was what I was supposed to be doing. And the greater, ability or sense of self was going to come from it. The impact was going to be so much greater than just me. It was going to be even greater than the girls in the pool. It was going to be greater than the fans of water polo, that it would have a reach that was going to be far bigger than what I could just do alone. And so I think that's the way that faith, you know, showed up for me is this, this kind of deep rooted knowing, um, and trust and trust in the process, even though I couldn't see the end. And, you know, I think then I would say, I don't know how or where that came from, but I think, you know, that is very squarely was my faith and, and a part of just how I was supposed to show up and do the work that I was doing. And it's led into the work that I get to do today with mindful warrior and doing performance coaching, which is fabulous. So wonderful. You're such a supernova, Cammie Craig. (laughs) You are. It's wonderful. And that deep trust that you're talking about, I think, so glad that you're bringing a perspective of somebody who wasn't um, brought up in an organized religion, but you were very much brought up in an organized principle of what love is. Mm -hmm. That's right. I think that there was something supporting you that said you'll be loved regardless of whatever mistakes you make. Mm -hmm. You know, in my tradition, we would call that, you know, unconditional love and forgiveness and all of those things. Um, And there are different names for that in different traditions, but you knew that. Yes. And that allowed you to develop this incredible light and follow it and Mm -hmm. be it. Um, And so I'm just grateful to be able to encounter that and you um, and be inspired by you. Thank you, Amani. And through all the things that we talked about, I think even this last point is that it allows, when I think about faith being connected even to performance, and this is one sliver of it, it's like you can be a little bit bigger and bolder and you can take healthy risks knowing that there is that unconditional love. There is that acceptance. There is a place to land and to build up from and start again. And there's something holding you in that. And when you can be a little bit braver, bigger and bolder and take healthy risks, you know, that's where the growth lies. And that's where you can push the boundaries and show up in different ways and recover quickly and seamlessly. Um, So to chaplaincy, can I add one final note? Yes. In most institutional life, chaplains serve people of all faiths or no professed faith tradition. And it follows exactly what you're saying. You're taking a risk, often meeting a stranger, often in a time of great need for that stranger, not wanting to um, cause any further harm and hoping to help do good. You're also encountering deep, deep suffering. And so it can be difficult to recover from room to room in the hospital setting where I am patient Mm -hmm. to patient. The resilience of of faith that the intention to help actually does help. (laughs) It might not help every time and it might not help in the way that we want it to. And there are definitely skills that you can learn to try to um, meet people where they are with a little bit more finesse. At the same time, I think people can smell it. They can, they can see it. I think our senses actually get 
more refined when we are in crisis for being able to actually recognize the light in other people and recognize authentic gestures of support. And that is so much what chaplaincy is, the practice of that to get to do that means that the people that I work with and I get to learn constantly, we get to grow constantly and we get to bear witness to the most intimate, most sacred, most difficult and most amazing moments in people's lives. And that is an incredible honor. Mm, Absolutely. Amani, thank you so much for being so generous with your spirit, your heart, your insight, your wisdom, our conversations. I love them every time we get the opportunity to have them. So thank you for being a part of this and being a guest on Mindful Warrior Radio. And I look forward to to sharing this with our listeners and having them to put your insight into play. So thank you very much. Thank you, Kim. Thank you to those who joined us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take the opportunity to share with a friend, follow Mindful Warrior Radio, and leave a review. To learn more about Mindful Warrior and Mindful Warrior Radio, please follow us on Instagram at The Real Mindful Warrior and check out our website at www.mindfulwarrior.com. I look forward to our next discussion here on Mindful Warrior Radio.